What is happening, my friend? Coach Brad here, and I just wanted to let you know real fast that these episodes are experimental and a little different than what you're used to. They're career consults Nick Howard did for free to aid folks along in their poker journey. They ended up turning out so chalk full of value and dripping with greatness bombs that he wanted to share them with as many folks as possible, so I gladly agreed to help him spread the word on Chasing Poker Greatness. If you love these episodes and find them especially valuable, please let me and Nick know and we will continue to collaborate in this format in the future. Also, as somewhat of a spinoff from Nick's career consult idea, I've created a similar offer for you in aspirant episodes of Chasing Poker Greatness, where you and I have a heart-to-heart discussion on your specific poker situation, and we come up with a plan together so that you can progress and move forward with more clarity and purpose. If this sounds like something you desperately need, head to enhanceyouredge.com guest and book your poker career coaching session today. The price is $100 and the session will last 1 to 1.5 hours. One more time, that's enhanceyouredge.com guest. And now, on with the show. Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Nick, welcome to the show. How you doing, sir? What's up, Brad? Good to be back. It's great having you. It's great having you. This is going to be a little different angle than what my listeners are used to. So could you tell me about the next few episodes, clue them in on why we're releasing these consults publicly and the value that they're going to gain from them? Yeah, I think it was something that I never expected to turn into this format. This whole thing started with kind of a crazy tweet that I released while I was drinking a bottle of wine over in Italy over the holidays. It was right after New Year's. I'm looking at the tweet now. It said, I'm thinking about offering a free hour of career consulting to any player who signs a waiver stating that you're actually interested in the truth. I'm guessing by the truth, I mean like the truth of what's going on in your career as to why you're not getting the results you want. If you end up being full of shit, the session gets released to the public for others to learn from. So I guess that was sort of my semi-drunk backhanded way of saying, don't waste my time. But I entered this with a place of sort of warm curiosity, I think, in, in my heart. I remember sitting there like, you know, nobody's doing this. Why isn't anybody doing this? Is it because people think that they're going to get taken advantage of by a ton of by a ton of users applying to it that don't actually take this seriously the feedback i got shortly after from some of the other big coaches in the community were like this is this is a slippery slope was berkey's comment i'm looking at it now (laughs) i said (laughs) slippery yet satisfying (laughs) little little lion king reference but yeah it was i don't know if you could say it's risky i mean as risky as my time is worth but for me it was more about let's try a format that hasn't really been tried and see what happens. So yeah, it started off just from 
from total curiosity, I would say. And what's been the biggest surprise of these consults? For me, I would say twofold. It was how much I was forced to listen, which I definitely learned a lot from. It's it's one thing to go into a session with a student where you have a training plan. It's another thing to meet in a room with a total stranger and have to try to piece together an entry point. So I think that would be the main thing is that I was speaking usually less than 20% of the time in most of these. The other thing that stood out to me was that you have to be very sensitive to where the person's stress level is when they're calling in. So you don't know these guys, they don't know you. And the most important thing before you can make any progress is that everybody feels comfortable. So I had to get very aware and, and sensitive to the emotional state that they were in so that I could provide enough support for them to open up about something that they were actually struggling with. And some guys that right off the bat. Um, some guys, it took a little bit more time. But for me, that that was a huge learning experience is realizing that if someone is super stressed out, they are trying to signal to you based on the, their emotions that they're light years away from being reasoned with right now. And so those were the consults where I had to just sort of be there as more of a support system as opposed to try to educate them on, you know, whatever that would, they were dealing with. And so I think what you see in the ones that I've picked out to share were these were the consults that I thought had a very clear entry point where the, the listener was very receptive to being helped. And we actually made some real progress with patching together the confusion. So I've selected those there's a few different topics that I think could potentially help a lot of people um, who might be in a similar position. What I found most interesting for the listener right now is that for all of these consults that I listen to, there's going to be something of value for every single one of you. You're going to be able to see yourself struggling with the same exact thoughts that the folks who sought out contacts with Nick had and the same exact emotions. And so there's just so much benefit in realizing that you're not alone. You're not alone in feeling the emotions of confusion with feeling fear and doubt about your future as it relates to poker and really as it relates to anything. And I thought you did a really great job of, you know, bridging the emotion and logic gap that most people struggle with because just by nature, when you have so much fear, you're going to, you know, you know, your logical brain is going to kind of switch off. Right. And you did very well. Thanks, man. And you're hearing the ones that turned out good. So <laughs> what you're not hearing is some of the ones where it was a rockier ride and, and I was learning a lot, but yeah, my, my learning process definitely trended in the direction of more emotion, less reason over the course of these. And I think that was a huge, a huge piece of value uh, to me as a learner. What do you think this person who's listening to these episodes or who's going to listen to these episodes, what do you think is the highest value thing they're going to gain? Probably realizing you're not as different as you think you are, though you're still very unique in your 
specific situation, the reason I've chosen these four consults to start off with that you guys will hear in the following episodes is because they, they come from players who are in radically different career situations in terms of uh, transitioning into poker or some guys are playing live, some guys are playing online. And so I've tried to, to take a variety that I think is going to really connect with a large portion of, of the listener base. So if, if one of them is not really speaking to you, keep looking because I guarantee one of these is close to your situation. Yeah. I, I sense that as well. I, I, you did a, did a really good job. Are you still doing these consults? Is this, was this just an experiment? It was an experiment at first that has sort of turned into, I think the most effective way to, to open my services up to the community. Most of my time is spent running the poker detox company on the coaching for profit side. And to be honest, a lot of the consults from this free batch that went well actually resulted in those players signing on to our team. So it was just a weird synergy that, that occurred from it where I, it was a combination of getting lucky with the types of applicants who were interested in the first wave um, and then getting lucky and having a really awesome conversation unfold and then them expressing interest in in moving forward with, with a more structured path. So at this point I do a lot of consults with the members of the company. That's where I direct most of my time. And then this is sort of like my, my pro bono work that I feel really good about. And sometimes it results in a huge win-win situation if, if someone wants to get on a more structured coaching path. So yeah, I am, I am still doing them and, uh, and you can reach out to me either on Instagram or, or Twitter, uh, or you can hit Brad up through the pod and, and we'll get you set up for the cynical listener here. Was this your, was the idea to bring these guys on to detox when you tweeted it out or was it just something that kind of organically happened? I think I can honestly say that I didn't expect the quality of applicant to these free consults to be anywhere near the quality that I would look to sign a new recruit up with. So I think I was pleasantly surprised that some of these guys who were taking the opportunity were actually uh, like mature players, guys that were already playing semi-professionally or professionally guys that valued a scientific path and yeah I, I mentioned to you i was like wow this feels weird like i start off doing something free and then before you know it like these guys want to sign on to my team if i wasn't careful i would almost have to backtrack and say i had false intentions behind doing this but like i said it started with a bottle of wine and and a little bit of curiosity in italy and i think it's those type of it's those type of intentions those just really strange moments of curiosity that tend to lead to something that you didn't expect. I've seen it happen over and over again that when you just give from a place of uh, curiosity, really it can snowball into something way cooler. And you created some natural little barriers too, I think by saying you're going to release these pods if somebody wastes your time. Uh, (laughs) This is some natural, there's some natural fear there. Like, Oh God, I don't want (laughs) to, I'm not going to, try to schedule one of these consults unless I'm actually serious about poker. Right. And I never did that just to be clear. Like I, I never put anybody on blast. In fact, the ones that you're going to hear are the ones that I thought went so well that 
I really feel like people need to hear it because like I said, there's value all across the board, regardless of what position you find yourself in. One of these is going to resonate. So we've bleeped out the names to protect the identity of the players because there's been some stuff that's sensitive in terms of name, location, et cetera. Um, but you're going to basically hear the full consult for every single one of these that we go into. Yeah, it's a great experiment. And now it's leading to some pretty cool podcast episodes that I feel and that you feel are going to be very helpful for folks who are on the path to chasing poker greatness, who might be struggling, don't know where to go. Um, As a final question before we jump into the episodes, if somebody's listening to these consults and they think, holy shit, that's me, what's a clear next step they should take to resolve this issue? It depends on what the issue is. Some of these guys are in very different situations to others. If you find yourself being someone who I say on consult has a ton of potential to go in direction X, Y, or Z, I would probably consider following that direction. I think at each of these, there's a solution that we reach that both parties agreed upon. So if you find yourself resonating with somebody and you don't find yourself resonating with the solution, I would say reach out and let us know what the difference is so that we can sort of build off of that. That's something I would be really interested in hearing. If you think that you are in a similar spot to somebody that is a caller into one of these consults, um, but you don't agree with the solution, let us know why and let's talk about it. And if you're listening right now and you waste Nick's time through this podcast, just, just know we're going to release it. <laughs> we're going to release it to the world. Um, no, we're probably not. But either way, just uh, don't be shy. Reach out to Nick. And um, yeah, let's jump into the shows. Excited to see what happens next. I play uh, mostly 1-2 and sometimes 2-5 live. Um, uh, no limit hold'em at a local casino. It's uh, they're they're relatively new. They've been open like fifteen, sixteen months. Um, I try to go and play as often as I can. Um, the game it plays pretty large. Uh, so the buy-ins are one to five hundred. Five hundred being a max. So the game itself plays almost like a two-five. Um. Also, you're allowed to straddle from any position as, as long as you're not uh, one of the blinds. Um, so you'll see a lot of uh, wrecks. Uh, they they will often uh, straddle. So it plays like a 2-5 game. Um, and I've been a relatively consistent winner. Um, I've, I'm up like, I'd say, 11,000. I got to check my numbers, but I'm up like, ten thousand dollars over like 700 hours which was like uh or close to 700 hours it's like uh my win rate is probably like 16 bucks an hour or something like that um so just uh a couple of things i'm struggling with now uh one is bankroll uh two is my work ethic i think would be stronger because i i'm playing against uh sort of weaker players so i think I've been kind of comfortable and haven't really stepped out of my comfort zone, haven't really worked at my game too much. Um, 
And I think my mental game is also really weak. I'm not very confident of a person outside of the table, um, which kind of reflects on the table. Sometimes I know what to do in a certain spot, but I don't like pull a trigger because I'm afraid to make a big mistake. Uh, that'll cost me a lot of chips. Um, and I'm a little bit insecure because at some of these games, you know, I'm playing against a lot of retired people, people that have been successful outside of the game. Um, who will have more money than me, have more assets. So I, sometimes I'm a bit insecure, and the money means a little more to me than it does to them, so it, it gets a little uncomfortable. All right, Nick, what are you sensing from Nelson so far? First two, two and a half minutes, just guys wearing his heart on his sleeve in terms of what his insecurities are. I think that's probably the best approach you could take. You know, if you have a limited amount of time with someone who you think is going to be able to offer you some good advice. It's smart to let them into your world and be as vulnerable as possible early on, because as you'll see what develops is he's created a really nice entry point for me to get to the, to the first route that we discover in terms of what his, what one of his core insecurities are. Um, So it makes my job a lot easier when someone leads with, these are my insecurities. Here's how I'm feeling. Um, instead of trying to protect that and and uh, use, instead of trying to make me pry at it, it's like you want to get your money's worth in a free consult. Lead with insecurity first, and not just your money's worth, but also you want to be vulnerable so that somebody who you're talking to can react logically and work through the distortion of the emotions that you feel yourself. It's harder for that person. If you don't lay all the things on the line and, you know, lay yourself bare, because if you don't say these things, if you hold back, if you're tentative, they don't actually get to see the things that they can help you with. That's a good point. And there's two, there's two types of humility that, Matt Hunt and I used to talk about when we are speaking in mindset terms, we would call it faux humility uh, or faux vulnerability in this case would be if we didn't sense that the guy was coming from a genuine place with his vulnerability, if it just seemed sort of like concocted to put on a front that he's, that he's available to an upgrade that he may not actually be available to, um, that's very hard to work with. But what I sense from this guy is he's got this innocence about him where the vulnerability he's sharing is very real. And I thought it created for a really nice soil, like a very fertile soil for a a valuable mindset conversation to follow. Yeah, he's very genuine. I sense the same same genuineness. Uh, Let's jump back into the interview and hear about Nelson's strengths. Um, that's all I got for now. I think some of my strengths are my discipline, uh, my patience. You know, I can sit there for hours and wait for hands, you know, top 10% hands or whatever. Like I, I, I'm pretty disciplined pre-flop. My pulse flop game isn't great. Um, it, it ain't terrible. I just think I, I, there's spots where I could be aggressive and uh, a lot of regulars know me too, and they know my game. So 
I think I, at least against certain opponents, I could definitely be more aggressive. Um, and yeah, I really love poker. Like I'm not great at it, but I definitely can beat the game I'm currently playing. Um, for sure. I like I 90% of the time I sit at a one, two table at this casino. I like, I feel like I'm the best player, if not the second best player. Um, it's pretty soft game. A lot of regulars who are not very good, um, but they're all fun to play with and I enjoy playing with them. Um, my goals, like I, I want to become a two-five player consistently. I think I can beat that game as well because I've occasionally, like once a month, will go and play uh, two-five, and I've done pretty well in a short sample size. So I think that's something I want to do. Like I think if I could be the best version of myself at two-five, I can maybe make like fifty bucks an hour. Uh, I, I know poker is not, is you know, it's not like a a for sure thing I could also you know get stacked 10 times and be broke but I think I could definitely beat the game uh, I love playing poker like this is something I really want to do I enjoy it um, but I'm just stuck if you will I, a lot of it is also my bankroll you know I can't really make moves if I don't have money but uh, I mostly play cash games I don't play too many tournaments uh, not because I don't think I'm any good at tournaments I just haven't really done it and uh, that's pretty much all I have for now. That's cool. That's enough to work with. Okay. So if we start with your discipline as your strength, your patience and your discipline seems to be getting hijacked by failure to execute. So these two things we need to sort of look at side by side. If you're a disciplined person who is not executing because you have some sort of risk aversion around executing, then discipline isn't really worth all that much because your win rate is suffering. Okay. So, so what we need to find out is, is the reason that you're not executing, we need to find out what the reason is. Is it because it's the money and it feels like it's too much to risk at any given time? Is it the social pressure coming from, the more powerful businessmen in the game uh, or is it something just entirely different? Like maybe just the fact that it's hard to pull a trigger in general. I, I don't know. It could just be, it could be like a simple fix where it's just like something you can talk about in two minutes and, and realize that, you know, it's, it's not logical to keep passing on spots when you know that that spot should be taken. It could be a deeper belief that that takes more time to uproot. We have time to do that, but first we need to identify what the main things are that are causing you not to do the thing that you think is the correct thing to do in game when it comes up. Um, okay, I would say, thinking about it more, I'd say it's a combination of being afraid because the money means too much. Like, for example, I can give you a, a, a quick hand um, where I think this kind of illuminates everything that i'm struggling with uh so one i'd say it's uh the money means a lot to me right now unfortunately and also uh sometimes i feel i know it sounds crazy but sometimes i feel like i'm making a play with like a draw and i feel like i don't deserve to win i i don't know if it's psychological or if it's like deeper than just poker it's like sometimes i feel like i don't deserve 
I don't know how to explain it, but let me get back to that. So, uh, like, quick example, I have ace-jack suited, uh, middle position, uh, full ring table, one-two. Um, we're playing, like, 400 effective. I raised to 12. Uh, older gentleman who's uh, on the tighter side, three bets to 25, which is really low. But I know, in my opinion, he has, like, jacks are better there. I have ace-jack suited. Two people cold call, and then I complete. Um, so we got 100 on the, on the pot. The flop comes out. 10, 8, 7. The 8 and 7 are uh, spades. So I have a nut flush draw with a gut shot. Um, I think the 10 was diamond. And it checks around to the, the guy who 3-bet. He puts in a bet of $75. And it falls to me. Like, in my opinion, in that moment, I know, I, I don't know if this is correct, but I believed in that moment the right play was to shove because I think he has, like, queen jacks or better, like I said. Um, it's going to put him in a tough spot, and I have a ton of draws that I felt like I'm almost flipping with some of those hands. Um, and I was so afraid to lose my whole stack and kind of, like, walk out of there. I didn't have another bullet to reload with. So I think had I lost, you know, had I made the move there and, and the turn and river went blank, blank, and I just got lost my whole stack, like, I would have just felt horrible by myself and just would have... Walk, went home and felt like ashamed, you know, that walk of shame, if you will. So, all right, Nick. So, this is gold to me. Tell me when you're listening to him describe this situation, tell this story. What are the thoughts going through your head? I think it's a, it's a spot where you, you have a guy who has enough understanding of the game to be able to get in touch with what his intuition is telling him like you said he's like i really believe that the right play here was to jam that hand and he actually gave very simple sound reasons for that that i thought were accurate what he exposes shortly after is that the real conflict is coming from risk aversion he's talking about he he alludes to the fact that he only had one buy-in in his pocket which at first like was confusing to me to hear um and i kind of needed to get more detail on that as you'll hear as the recording continues but um signals of risk aversion you know those bells are starting to go off in my head that this is what we're really dealing with here and that this is a guy who sometimes knows the right answer but can't pull the trigger because he doesn't have enough money in his pocket to do it what about the cognitive dissonance the i have the the quote here making making a play with a draw and he feels like he doesn't deserve to win what do you make of that that story could be a couple things could be just a fundamental misunderstanding of the pot odds model which is that when there's already so much money in the pot you can semi bluff and not even have to win anywhere near half the time to still make the play profitable could also just be a signal of a deeper insecurity a sense of unworthiness that uh, he's just not a winning player doesn't deserve to be so hard to tell but um neither of those things are traits of a of a winning player so whether it's structural or mental um, it's definitely not good i'll give my opinion i think because he only has one buy-in because he's so risk averse what's happening is he understands the right play but then when he doesn't pull the trigger he's making up a story that aligns with him not making that play he's trying to find a why as to why he's not pulling the trigger. 
And what he's kind of coming up with is that he's making a play with a draw and feels like he doesn't deserve to win. Um, but that's just my opinion. And uh, yeah, let's, I think that I think that makes sense. That it could be the most convenient way for him to explain why he's not doing something that he thinks he should do or or whatnot. There's a technique coming up, I think, shortly after this. I sort of call it an isolation technique in mindset work, where you'll hear me call out the risk aversion and then say that would you have made this play if you were playing much smaller stakes? That's a way to find out if it's actually the amount of money that he's required to invest in the spot that's causing him to become risk averse, or if it's some other mindset belief that isn't connected to money. Yeah, let's see, let's see how he reacts to that. Oh, dude, this is, this is just textbook bankroll risk aversion. We can solve okay. this in five minutes. Okay. Um, because I truly believe you would make that jam if it were in a $20 game. I think so too, yeah. So what we actually need to sit down and figure out is do you have enough money in your bankroll to be able to handle the volatility of this game? I do think that you should be buying in for deep, especially if the games are playing weak and the pots are bloated like they are because your edges is going to be higher if you do versus fish especially. Gotcha. So. Do we have enough? Well, like, what are you usually buying? And you said it's a five hundred would be if you bought in five hundred. Yeah. That would technically be five hundred BBs. So, like right now, um, I have a. I was doing. I was playing poker. I was playing. Well, I know that sounds crazy, but I was playing one two and had a part time job, and that was like my only two streams of income. So I didn't quote unquote have an actual bankroll. Like I don't have ten twenty thousand dollars sitting aside. Um, but um, I usually buy in with 500 unless I don't – if I have like 600 on me, I'll, I'll do – I'll attempt to do like two bullets of 300 each. But generally speaking, I try to buy in with 500 uh, just because I don't know why. I just play better with more chips in front of me too. I just feel more confident. I feel like if I do lose a small pot, like it's not the end of the world. I just – I don't know. I usually try to buy in with the max though. The interesting thing is that – from your story, you play better until all your chips have to go into the pot, at which point you become risk averse. <laughs> yes. So so let's do it this way. Do you still have a part-time job? Yes. Okay, cool. Keep the job. Okay. Set aside three months' life expenses and okay. completely separate that money from your poker bankroll. Any yeah, money that you make, any money that you make from your work goes towards your living expense fund. You have three months cushion and you keep putting everything that you make from work into that fund. Everything left over is what you have to work with on the poker side. So now you have clear delegation of, of finances. And gotcha. what, what's good about that is that it should take away the stress largely of you feeling like the walk of shame actually threatens your, your life. You know what I mean? Yeah, and just one little quick thing I wanted to add. Like, I'm a regular. I know this is kind of like, well, I you know I need to get over myself, but like I'm a regular here, so I play all the time. A lot of the staff, I know all the dealers, I know all the floor, like I know all the food runners, like they know me as a quote unquote solid player. So it's like I have like quote unquote image to live up to, and it kind of just kills my ego when I have to like 
get stacked and have to like walk home. But what I need to understand is I'm killing my edge if I'm not making the right play when I need to. And it's really frustrating. Like for that hand, I know results don't matter, but that hand I would have, I, I rivered the draw. And then when I bet it, he folded. Had I made the play before the draw got there, then we would have got all the money in. But uh, yeah, I definitely like, okay, so you said three months, uh, well, set aside three months of life expenses, right? Yeah. And my real question is, why are you not bringing more than one bullet? Or do you literally ha- not have it, or is it just like in the bank and you didn't you didn't withdraw it for the day? Uh, most of the times, I I either don't have it or I have it, but I you know it needs to go towards like an upcoming bill, you know whether it's light water bill. So like I'm afraid to touch it because then I don't want to fall behind on bills. So it's um, but I'd say most of the time I do have it. I just don't want to like use it. Um, All right, then, I'd say fifty fifty. Yeah. All right, so. So if we set aside three months rent, do you, do you even have that to begin with to set aside? Or are you that strapped right now? It's important. I'm that strapped, but I want to do it. Okay. I, I think, I think I, I, this is very simple, but I think my game's going to get so much better if I'm not worried about like paying the mortgage, you know? Right. But but as, of right now, you, as of right now, you don't really have three months living expenses to set aside up front, correct? Unfortunately, nope. Okay, cool. So you you have to accept that at this moment, you don't actually have the bankroll to be playing in this game, and it's showing up as you having to be risk averse because you actually only have one bullet, bro. Do you know how stressful that is? Yep. So yeah, I feel it every time I'm at the table. It it it, it stops me from definitely playing my best game, and it's but it's I, like I, mean, I love poker. I'm not a like I'm not really a degenerate. But I love the game so much that when I do have the ability to have that one bullet, like my first thought isn't to build off this bullet and save two or three bullets. My first thought is to go and play and sit down just because I have a quote-unquote edge, even though it's very high volatility. I just love the game so much that I hate when I'm not able to play, but got to sacrifice. Well, yeah, that would work if you weren't becoming risk-averse by only having one bullet, but gotcha. So it's gotcha. causing you just massive – this is like massive stress that you're putting on yourself by having to uphold an image in the poker room as the guy who only comes with one bullet. You're setting yourself up for, for disaster here. Gotcha. Like, it's just that you have, uh, you have ridiculous expectations for how this could be working out. Like, you're going to have sessions where you swing a couple buy-ins – and then end up six buy-ins if you just play through. The fact that you have to stand up and walk out after losing a bullet or two, it's putting a real... It's not just reckless. It's actually putting a real damper on your volume because now you have to leave the casino and wait to come back till next time. You know, yep. you'd, be, you'd be much better off having a bankroll and playing through. And I get that you don't have that, so now we have to figure out how you get that. There's two options. You either save up for as long as it takes to have a 10 or 20 buy-in bankroll, which could be a year in your case if, you, if you're not able to save that much, or you've got to find a backer. And I think the second one is the actual way to go, especially since it's going to challenge your ego because your ego has this image of being a reputable player and now you're going to have to actually go seek out a backer so you can have a bankroll so you can make correct plays at the table when they come up without being risk-averse. 
So what are your options for backing? Um, I, I haven't explored them, uh, but I do have, I have, uh, he actually was, uh, which is pretty cool, but he, he actually, he told me he, uh, he got, he got training from you at some point. Um, his name is, I can't pronounce his last name, but he got training from you a couple years ago. I don't know if you had like a consulting team or, Mm. or was it, I don't know, but anyways, uh, He's a good mentor of mine. He's been he plays two five and two two PLO there, um, sometimes five ten. And he he made like uh, eighty to ninety grand last year. He uh, didn't have a losing month, and he's like a good mentor to me. He has taken me in the past, uh, like it was like seven eight months ago. It didn't go well, but uh, it was like I got stacked with like really really strong hands, and we went over the hands, and he was really proud of the way I played him. Um, and it's funny, I actually played more, uh, what is it? I can't, I played less risk averse with his money than with mine, which was interesting. I thought it'd be the other way around, but, um, yeah, he could, he would definitely be willing to back me. I mean, to what degree, I don't know. You know, I may have to put in a percentage, um, but does he he play at this casino? Yes, he does. He's he, to me, he's the best mind I've come across there. I, does he play in these games yes he does he plays he plays at the local games he plays the biggest games so he's not in your game no no he well he he like if you know there's not enough seats for two five or five ten he'll sit down with the one two but not really yeah i mean that sounds like your play dude like you just see this from a from a larger perspective you you're you got to agree with me that you don't have the bankroll to be playing this the way that you want to play it. It's causing you to be risk averse and you know, the walk of shame and all of this. It's, it's a reckless position to put yourself in. Okay. Okay. So from there, we have two options. You got to either save up 20 buy-ins so that you can actually play this game correctly and, and reload when you get stacked as opposed to having to walk out of the casino. Yeah. Or you got to get backing. If you can't get a loan or if you don't have that 20 buy-ins up front, which it doesn't sound like you have, you're looking at probably a year to save that up through your part-time job, I would guess, if you can even do it, because it sounds like it's hard to even make bills with your part-time job. So now what you're looking at is a potential long time that it takes you to save up 20 buy-ins, or you go talk to this guy tomorrow and let him know that you're dead serious about making money in this game and say, what can we, what can we do immediately? And he gets you on your feet and now you have an hourly rate like tomorrow at this game. So like the backing seems like it's the no brainer here, even though you're going to be giving up substantial equity as opposed to having hundred percent of your own action, yeah. the amount of time that it's going to take you to, to take your own action makes this a no brainer. You got to get the backing deal. You're not even close to being at a place where you can take your own action in this game. A hundred percent of your own action. And that's okay. We just have to actually look at it realistically so you can make the best decision from where you're currently at. Yeah, it's almost like I tried to uh, to have like the poker uh, kind of feed the rest of my life when it should be the other way around, at least initially. Because, um, you know, with my short buy-ins, I was doing pretty well. So I, I kind of got caught away and thought that this was like sustainable. But then, you know, all it takes is one or two bad weeks and you're back to square one. So definitely. Well, that's why I'm saying this is an unrealistic model that you're setting up for yourself. Yeah. 
because it's just a model that's just not operating from an accurate view of of what variance is going to do to you and then since you have this image you're trying to uphold on top of that you're just like setting yourself up for a fucking bumpy ride dude yeah all right so there's like a clear solution here which is a good thing is like once we see that the current model doesn't work the backing model just looks way way better it allows you to not be risk averse at the table it allows you to actually reload and play your entire session so your volume goes up you're developing a relationship with this guy and he can probably mentor you a little bit so you're probably getting better that way and you got money in your pocket like immediately because you you're back in the games like next week if you set this up right. Dude, yeah, like, I think honestly, honestly, you can probably you can probably end up playing poker more hours under the backing, depending on how much he's willing to back you. So you can actually do the thing you like more. I'm assuming if you like playing more than you like working your part time job, like it's all good things in the direction of securing backing. What's your uh, resistance to it, if any? To being backed? Yeah. Um, Besides the fact that it sucks to give up some of your action and your ego might take a hit because you have to actually ask for help. I think for me it would be just uh, – so I I can't say I'm a, I'm a winning player in the sense that I've only like, – I've only taken the game serious in the last probably eight months or so. And, yeah, I did well in that short – period of time but i i guess i would be a a little bit afraid um to to quote unquote lose someone else's money you know i know how hard he's worked at his game and for me to even you know it's i guess that would be my only fear like burning quote unquote someone else's money um are you burning it though or are you investing it intelligently I would say invest. Yes, investing intelligently. But I guess, for I guess my track. I don't have much of a track record to go by. I just have a belief and a short sample size to go by. Um, but I do feel like I'm capable. I guess. Yeah, I, I guess it's not too bad. I don't believe you yet. You don't sound. Um, you don't sound too convicted in the fact that you're going to invest this. Like if I run, no, if, if I just run bad for a week, like I, I don't know what he's going to think. You know, I think more of that kind of like, what is he going to, I'm thinking like, is he going to think, all right, this guy is not very good or. Well, what happened uh, last time? Last time, uh, he staked me twice and I, I got, I got it all in with aces. I three betted some dude and he called my three bet with like pocket fours and he flopped quad fours and we got the money in on the turn. Um, and. All right, so it was like two hands that that he stayed. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It was. He didn't back me for very long. He backed me like on two different occasions. All right, so because uh, the two five game was juicy at that time. Yeah, so it was very. Gonna, if this is going to work between you two, you guys have to have realistic expectations. And, that and I think he does. I think his expectations are more realistic than mine would be for sure. At least initially, because. I mean, he's played longer. He understands the swings. He understands variance much better than I do. Um, All right, so cool. So it's not him that's going to be disappointed in you if you drop five buy-ins. He understands the variance. Assuming he yeah. I think it's you too. So what is it about 
your lack of self-trust that doesn't believe that you're worthy of losing five buy-ins without being dropped by your backer? Um, wow, that's you, deep. Uh, do you not trust that you're going to invest that money well? Or do you think that you can do it? I think if it doesn't go well early, I might get a little nervous and start to, you know, doubt might start to creep in. I, it's almost like I'm afraid to succeed. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's like, oh, how do I explain it? <sighs> um, I don't know. I just, I think this will work. I just, I feel like, It's a little bit discomfort uh, of feeling that I, I guess it'll be just more added. Hi, what am I? I'm just talking in circles. Uh, sorry. No, I mean, it's because you're beating around the bush of something that you actually should take the time to discover. Like you're right there. You're, you're about to actually hit the nail on the head of the thing that's causing you to not trust yourself. So why don't you just take a few minutes? Okay. We got some time actually just sense into what you believe is going to happen to you after you lose so let's pretend you lose three buy-ins on the stake right and you start yeah. to feel like like what is that feeling that's developing like oh fuck this is going downhill again what's the fear is it that he's going to drop you is it that you're no. going to tilt is it that you're going to tilt the rest of his money if he doesn't drop you what's going on um uh... Because I doubt you would have an issue if you felt like no matter how many binds you lost, you had 100% confidence that you still had edge in that game and that you were investing well. I don't think you would have any doubts if you knew that you had permanent edge no matter how much of a downswing you went on. I think if 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 it didn't if it didn't go, like if I burn a couple binds, uh, burn is not the right word. If I lose a few buy-ins and I play well, I, I am afraid of potentially tilting and having my game suffer because of it. And now I'm making worse decisions at the table. And now this quote-unquote dream that I wanted for myself, um, I guess I'm afraid of ruin. Just kind of just becoming one of many players who I've seen they're all excited for the first year, and then once they go south, they they're just a less lesser version of themselves, and they don't really. I, I'm I guess I'm afraid of becoming worse, if that's possible. Yeah, that's fine, and and see how far ahead you just jumped. Like there's a fear of potentially starting to tilt, and then your mind is going straight to the real fear, which is like I don't want to be ruined and end up as one of these, you know loser yeah yeah exactly all right so but actually do it step by step dude like we lose three buy-ins we start to have some doubt of potentially tilting and instead of going straight to the core fear of like i don't want to end up being a homeless degenerate why don't we actually just identify what the thing is that is causing you to tilt there is it actually the fear that that you're gonna end up homeless or, or, you know, not homeless, but like that you're going to end up as one of the worst players in the casino. That's a big leap to make from just losing three buy-ins. 
yeah you're right so like uh, what's going on? you have to actually sit with that and see like what is going on at that point in your imagination we lose three buy-ins understands or maybe we even made one mistake we talk about it with him he corrects us he knows we still have edge we go back in why would you not be able to continue to play well after losing that three buy-ins Cause you're almost doing this to yourself. You're almost like shit. Like if I lose three, uh, I'm that much closer to ruin. And then that's going to make me play worse, but it shouldn't because you're in complete control of your next buy-in. And that's all wants to see. That's all any backer wants to see is that you're going to invest the next buy-in appropriately. Cause he understands variance. I, I think part of it too is, uh, letting my parents down. So my parents are like, they don't really know anything about poker. They came from the Dominican Republic and um, they know how much I love poker. I tell them all the time. I've told them for years, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a great player or I wasn't a good player back then, but I enjoyed the game. And I guess I'm afraid of letting them down and them no longer being proud of me because I, I'm like, I'm the quote unquote, like, example in my in my household like i was the first one to go to college the first one to get my bachelor's degree in my family like people view me in my family as this person and i'm afraid of becoming the person that they tell me i am going to become because they all tell me gambling's bad for you you shouldn't play poker all the time don't look at it as a career just look at it as entertainment you you can never win you know they they kind of they don't know the game so they put what they view what they view poker and gambling as, they kind of projected onto me, and and I just feel like if if I lose three buy-ins with someone else's money who's backing me, I am going to become the person that my parents don't want me to become. Um, That's the core. So congratulations first because you actually figured it out, but now we got to work through it. Like I I I'm I'm. Usually, if my mom calls me and I happen to be playing poker, like sometimes I don't pick up the call because I, I'm afraid to tell her where I'm at because I'm afraid of what she's gonna think about her son. Like her son's always at the casino. The the new casino opened, you know, over a year ago. It's five minutes from my house. Like, um, I just don't want to let my parents down, and I know this is something I want. This is not something they want for me. And my whole life I've been doing what they want for me. And now uh, the last couple of years, I've at least tried out poker. You know, I'm not, I, I've, I've only taken it really serious the last few months, but um, yeah, I would say I'm just afraid to let them down. I think it might be that simple. I don't know. Do you, I'm afraid to become the person that they think I'm going to, if I keep playing. Do you trust that you see poker more clearly than they do in terms of it being like an actual investment opportunity and not just degeneracy? I had, I had it until recently where like, even though it was only 600 something hours, it was a small sample size, but it was the first time in my life that I thought, okay, I can beat this game. Like, I'm good enough to beat this game. Before I was playing like local home games, I was probably a break-even player at best, like at best, you know, and it was a high-rate game. Like almost no one was beating the game. But um, I think until recently, I, I've 
before that, I I thought similar to what they thought because I never proved it to myself. I was never, you know, I don't have a track record. I, I've never done it. Yeah, I could think about it, watch videos, study, learn all these fundamentals. But at the end of the day, until I actually do it and until I prove to myself with a deep, decent live sample size that I could beat a certain game, like until that point, I'm still thinking uh, kind of along the lines as my parents, like maybe gambling is not a game you can win, quote unquote. How much money do you need to make? How many hours do you need to play and how much money do you need to make before you believe you have actual edge? Did you reach that point already? Mm, uh, Apparently not, right? No, I no, I, I think I got a little closer, but no, no, definitely not. So Any number, this is, this is so key, bro. Any number that you give me right now where you would say, this is the number that I need to reach before I can feel like what my parents say doesn't matter and I don't need to worry about letting them down anymore because I've proved myself. Any if number- I can play, this is guessing, guess okay, what, but if I can play this year, and again, I'm going to need a backer early on in the year, at least until I make enough money to back myself, but if I could play a th- uh, 1,500 to 2,000 hours in one year and make like 40,000, then I feel like that's enough of a sample size where I feel like, all right, I can really, really do this. Like, I don't think it's much. I mean, maybe even less than that. I don't know. But that would be my guess. If I could if I could bang out 12 months straight and have like 10 winning months or something like that and maybe one or two losing months or a break-even month in there or something like that, then I feel like I could really do this. And now my belief that the game is beatable is going to be more clear i think because now i proved to myself that i can do it like i the only person that i've ever met that's consistently beating these games uh was just recently which was my friend i told you about before that i just knew all my friends were just like average to below average players so none of them were even maybe some of them were break even players some of them were losing players so i didn't really have like anyone you know, I'm not even living it through me, but at least I could live it through someone else, quote unquote. And the only person I've only met one person that's actually beating the games because there's very few people beating the games out there, you know, and I'm not very social. So, like, shit, I don't know. All right, listen. The problem with the model that you just laid out of needing to play X hands with Y win rate before you can feel like you've proven yourself and you no longer have to worry about letting your parents down. The problem with that is that even if it could work, you're never going to get to that landmark under this belief system. Because it's going to self-sabotage you. It's putting too much pressure on you for you to perform well. This is the only thing you need to see. So I know it would be great to be able to have that big sample with those winnings, but you're never going to be able to get there under this belief. You're putting too much pressure on yourself. You already know this. It's this feeling you're getting when you're having to take the walk of shame. It's the feeling you're getting when your mom calls you on the phone you don't want to pick up. It's guilt. Oh my God. <laughs> if, yeah, because it's imagine. not really till. I, sorry to cut you off. It's not really like 
when we were talking earlier about fear of tilting, it's not really that. I don't think I'm going to play much worse over that four five. Maybe if I take a day off and I lose one or two buy-ins and I come back the next day, I don't think I'm going to play much worse. Being down money, I don't. I think it's it's kind of this – maybe I can approach it like just having an open communication with my parents and say, hey, listen, I don't know for sure if I have a clear edge in this game, but I want to try it. And maybe – Maybe that'll relieve a little pressure with them knowing, like, I'm being honest with myself and they can see that I, I, I'm i having trouble under, uh, feeling confident that I actually can beat these games consistently. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe, maybe uh, that could work. Maybe. And maybe they don't even give a fuck. How right. <laughs> a, maybe they don't even give a fuck how good of an argument you make because their belief systems about this are already so secure okay their beliefs about their beliefs about poker and gambling so like i think what you might have to actually accept is that it's very very likely that your parents not wanting you to take this shot is because they don't want to be responsible for your failure so they've conditioned you to not let them down this is so common dude like this is a very very common belief system that can happens. you say that again please or Try to, because that kind of, I just want to hear that again. You said. Your parents have very likely conditioned you to have a belief that it's important to not let them down because they don't want to be responsible for your failure if you take a shot because your failure becomes their failure and they probably never took shots, big shots. Mm-hmm. So their so their success barrier has become your success belief, your success barrier belief. Bingo! Again, we hear the excitement in Nelson's voice. What do you make of that, Nick? It's kind of like a confused excitement. This is like that jackpot phrase that if you do mindset work. You start to associate this moment with, I just hit a blind spot in the student's way of thinking. And it's extremely valuable if you can dismantle it and, and present it in a way that they can digest. So anytime someone says, can you say that again? It usually means that whatever you just said was immediately chewed up and spit out by their their current ego or, or their current way of thinking as a defense mechanism to not let that, that nugget of truth in. As soon as you hear that, if your goal is to have the most impact possible, you have to sort of inject enough emotional support with the wisdom of what you just exposed to be able to sort of lure them towards the solution. So it's a, we're in delicate territory right now for sure. Um, when you say, can you expand for the listener right now on exactly what you mean by blind spot? Yeah, so I would say a blind spot is something that is true about the way that you operate and, and what you believe, but you're not aware that your motivations are caused by that belief. And so when it's exposed to you, it doesn't seem like it makes sense because it's so hidden to you. It's such a hidden motivational route that it takes a little while for you to be acquainted with it, I would say. 
Yeah, that's beautiful. And, and one tell that I just kind of came up with after listening to you talk is sometimes I'll be watching a YouTube video, listening to a podcast, and I'll have that same thought. Wait, let me hear that again. And I'll rewind it and listen to it again. And so if you want to tell that something hit a blind spot, look for that in your behavior. When you think to yourself, wait, let me listen to that again. I think you should, uh, you should engage in that curiosity and really meditate on what you're listening to, why you're doing what you're doing, and why this is impactful for you. Totally. So, and pay attention to – this will happen all, all the time. Like you'll be listening to something and your mind will keep drifting at this one part. And you might think it's because, you know, you're just thinking about something else that's important that you need to figure out for that day. But like, actually, what I found in my experience is it's not a coincidence that your mind drifts at that part. Your mind is drifting at that one part over and over again, because whatever is being said there is something that your ego doesn't want to hear. And so I think that curiosity is huge. If if you can reframe that moment as Oh, oh, that's actually the biggest signal that I should tune in again there and, and take the time to rewind that and, and listen and, and ponder on it. Um, I think that's a huge upgrade. And if you need help, I know in my life, if I want a blind spot exposed, I could just ask my wife. <laughs> she can, <laughs> she'll let me know my blind spot straight away. So your best friends, the people who are close to you, who know you very well, maybe ask them if you have a blind spot so that they can, they can point it out because a lot of times folks who are very close to you see things in your behavior, in your actions that you may not see, or you may not have awareness of. Sure. And if you don't have two or three friends that you really trust their judgment, ask 10 people who you kind of trust. And what starts to happen is you can start to triangulate their feedback and say, okay, with eight out of 10 people see this thing in me. That's, pretty good evidence that that's going on in my system. Yeah, that's gold, man. That's gold. So let's jump back into Nelson and see how he deals with this realization and what happens next. So that's like so eye-opening for me because uh, my parents in nature are very conservative, right? They work hard. They save their money. They don't really go out and make crazy big investments. They don't like to travel too much. My dad doesn't really like being on planes. Like they're, they, they, that's how they were raised. You know, their their parents. They came from a poor country. Their parents are very strict. So some of that influence has kind of, yeah, you nailed it right on the head. Um, so I just need to be okay with the fact that their belief system is what it is. And if down the line it changes, fine. But if it doesn't, then I got to just accept that and, and be okay with taking a shot because I want to. Like, I just do. I just love the game. I love, I love what it, like, it just brings out so much greatness in me in a sense. Like, I, I'm more patient. Like, it teaches me life lessons, like, to be patient in life, to be disciplined, to not, you know, go out of line. Like, to be aggressive, you know, if I like a girl, be aggressive, like aggressive pays off sometimes. Just a lot of things in poker just have helped me with my life and I don't want to let it go. And 
Even if my parents are not okay with it, I'm just going to keep going. I I really. Because what's your alternative, bro? You're going to give up the thing that you love so you don't potentially let your parents down when really they want you to actually succeed. They just don't want to be responsible for the chance that you fail. And because you don't want to let them down, now you're increasing the, the chance that you're going to fail because you're either not going to try in the first place or you're going to sabotage yourself when you're trying. So your, your solution does not make any sense right now. Like caring about what they think is killing your chances of actually making them proud of you. Because they do want you to succeed. They just don't want you to succeed at their own risk. And they think this is a really risky thing that you're doing. And now you have to decide, am I going to stand on my own two feet and do the thing that I love and give myself the best chance to succeed? Or am I going to just succumb to this bullshit belief system that is designed to keep me small? Like it is literally designed. The thing that they're doing to you out of love or what they think is love is designed to keep you from not trying. Because if you try something, something outside of the norm and fail, it reflects poorly on them and they probably have to pick you back up financially. So they become responsible. Wow. This is very powerful stuff. And like you said, we're in delicate territory here. You literally just said your parents, the, their dynamic is designed to keep him small. Can you tell me how, you know, your plan for navigating this situation? Yeah, this is a, this was a risky move. Um, it's, I guess it's sort of one of those gamble moments in mindset where it's like you have an opportunity to empty the clip on someone. And all you're trying to decide is whether or not there's enough trust and enough safety created, enough enough non-judgment between the two of you that that you can do that in a very reasonable way without without causing them to shut down. Because if he shuts down, the intelligence that I'm dropping is worth nothing. And what I'm saying is true, and it's the reason I've included this recording, is that a lot of people are dealing with the same cycle of parents who are trying to keep them small so that they don't have to take on the loss from a child who takes risk. It's all true, but it's not worth anything if it causes someone to emotionally shut down in the delivery. So i made a judgment call. I thought that there was going to be enough receptivity, even if I went kind of hard at him to be able to to digest what I was saying. And I guess in the back of my mind, if, if it went over his head again, I could always send him the recording, but this is a, this is something that I'm constantly uh, trying to calibrate. Cause the real risk is not that he just doesn't understand what I'm saying. It's that he feels attacked and judged and then he shuts down. And um, that's a, what I would consider to be a, a failure in, in mindset consult territory. So a good example of one of those risky moments where you just have to kind of um, calibrate. I think it's awesome. And, you know, those words just strike a chord with me designed to keep you small. I think that resonates with listeners. And I think a lot of times we can even be the people who are keeping ourselves small. There can be people who, 
expect bigger things than we think we're capable of. And we are the ones who are trying to minimize the risk, not be bold and keeping ourselves small. And so having awareness of, you know, the incentives, the paradigm that you're in is just so, so, so key to breaking through. So they're afraid of letting, they're afraid of me failing because it means more responsibility on their end. Because Mm -hmm. if I fail, then they're going to have to support me for a short period of time or even a long period of time. Depends. Okay. It could be a financial responsibility that they don't want to assume, or it could just be that like, they don't want to have to tell their friends that their son took a shot as a gambler and lost. It, It could be either of those. Or both, right? Or both. Okay. But the important thing is to see that neither of those apply to you or your potential. And the only real chance you have at realizing your potential, moving towards your potential, is to stop believing that that shit is even worth considering. It only only gives you one thing if you believe in that. It gives you failure 100% of the time. You're either not going to try or you're going to try under so much pressure that you're going to self-sabotage eventually. Or burnout. So like that that ends in failure one hundred percent of the time. So you think you're fighting against that and like proving yourself, but actually you're headed down a one way street towards failure under that belief system. That's why I said originally you can have this idea in your head that you'd love to play forty thousand hands with, you know, a, a win rate of X, but you're yes. never going to actually get there if you feel this way during the process. It's going to drag you down. You're either going to burn out or punt your role somehow. So the only real decision that you have to make is, do I care enough about following this dream of the thing that I actually think I might be good at to put my money where my mouth is and actually do it regardless of what they think? Because caring about what they think is what's been holding you back so far. It's literally holding you in like this paralysis and you think that you're actually like slowly getting out of it, but you're actually not. You're actually just slowly burning yourself out under the illusion that you're going to continue to put one buy on the table and hopefully run it up. This is a, that's a fucking pipe dream, dude. You got to get backing. You got to actually sit and fire bullets and execute the way that you know that you need to execute so you can put in volume yeah, and obtain the edge that you actually have when you play well. You're sort of like, your current process is just sort of like you're dancing around the truth, which is that you're not handling this professionally right now. You're going, to the, casino, not. You're going to the casino with one bullet sort of like tiptoeing around the issue that you're massively afraid to actually make this a career. So like, yeah, it's fun when you run it up and it's like, yeah, this could be sort of the next step toward the dream. And then when you, when you bust your role, it's like the walk of shame and, and the entire other end of the spectrum. You're, you're living such a high variance, bullshit, unprofessional lifestyle right now. Mm. So the solution to that is to get on a professional path. I think that starts with, getting backing yeah and what you're going to see from that is you're going to feel more responsible which is going to alleviate some of the the guilt that you feel about potentially letting your parents down 
and you're on your path. Because a lot of why you feel like you're going to let them down is because you deep down know that you're not doing this responsibly. Wow, right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think if I was doing it responsibly with the role, playing my best, uh, playing every day, there would be no worries. There would. Why would I worry about... Because at that point, I think I, I would be on the right path to, to, to actually accomplishing what I want to, quote-unquote, accomplish. Final thoughts on this consult with Nelson. I thought this one was just a beautiful progression that was enabled by him being so open and innocent up front um, with his insecurities that allowed us to get to that first entry point, which seemed to be just general risk aversion in his strategy in his poker strategy. But then as we keep going, we find that his poker risk aversion is actually just a microcosm of his life risk aversion. And that that is being caused by the relationship that he has with his parents. So sort of just follows suit with as in poker is in life. We see it happen again here where someone's technical, technical personality actually mimics something that's much closer to their, to their archetype or their, their character. Let me ask you a question. Do you think him bringing one buy-in to play poker with, do you think he's just self-sabotaging there? And that this is a result of the macro paradigm that he's living in? Could be. Totally could be. Tough to say, like, with certainty. You know, it goes back to the other thing about maybe he just doesn't realize he could play smaller stakes. Maybe he has a a fundamental misunderstanding of how much variance there is in poker. Um, But yeah, it, it could also be that, in fact, I would say it's much more likely that it is something about him wanting to confirm that he's not actually able to make it as a professional that allows him to stay small because then at least he's not in defiance of his parents, et cetera. So this is the, this is how sabotage would work in that case. And I think it's a, a pretty high likelihood. That's part of what's going on at least is that he shows up underrolled giving himself a very high likelihood of having to take the walk of shame, like he says, uh, because deep down the walk of shame is safer than breaking out of his parents' grip. Shout out to this guy, though, because I think of all the the consults, he was the most open and willing uh, to work through stuff. And you can hear that genuine curiosity in his voice of like, that he really wants to understand what's going on. And that's the type of thing that I find myself just having infinite patience and, and passion for with this type of work and respect for sure. It's so not much, easy. it's not easy to, to lay yourself bare and put yourself out there in order to potentially gain understanding of what's going on, especially after all the things that we've talked about and all the emotional turmoil that Nelson faces dealing with his family and dealing with all of these things regarding his poker career that are tough. You know, they're, they're just tough emotions to deal with tough thoughts. So and I remember dude, like when this was happening, I was so excited that he was willing to go there because this was a topic that I had been discussing with players sort of 
up to this point, but I had never had such a nice progression where it led into it in such a profound way with somebody who was so willing to sit there and look at it. So literally while it was happening, like I was, I remember thinking like, holy shit, like this could help so many people. If this gets out there, if people can see that this is common and other guys are dealing with this and, and to have it broken down piece by piece, I have a feeling that this one might be the one that really sets a lot of, a lot of players free. I agree. Nelson's biggest fear is that he, he's unworthy of being successful at poker. And that's what he's so afraid of. That's why he doesn't commit fully. That's why, you know, you bring one buy-in to the, to the poker room, you lose without ever really taking a shot, without ever really having a bankroll, without ever really investing yourself. You never realize the true fear of being unworthy of being a poker player. So this is his way of sort of bypassing it. And, you know, I think the first step for anybody that feels like this is exactly what Nelson did. All credit in the world because there are plenty of people who live their entire lives without confronting these fears and without confronting the issues behind what they're doing. And that is a surefire way to keep yourself small. (laughs) 